This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I had a tendency when I would show up at work to uh, sing. I always would sing. I'm, I'm, that's the way I was. That's kind of hairpin I am. Sam Simon used to be on the writing staff of Cheers. He went off and became extraordinarily famous as one of the creators of The Simpsons. Sam gives me a call and says, we come up with this character. Uh, he's been in the show already, but he doesn't speak. Now he's going to speak. We're going to find out who he is, and we think you should voice him. Are you still singing? <laughs> it's who I am. So about a year and a half later, a buddy of mine who was a professor at Evanston, Illinois, sends me a picture, and he says, can you believe this? It was the side of a building painted with a giant mural of Sideshow Bob with the words underneath saying, free Sideshow Bob. <laughs> I am so thrilled to have right here on my latest episode of Just Getting Started, a gentleman who I've been a big fan of and I haven't spoken to in a few years when he appeared kind enough on my daily Rich Eisen show, his new film, or his films, The Space In Between, which had some theatrical run back in April, is in a video on demand near you on June 15th, and The God Committee is coming to theaters on July the 2nd, just one of the many projects in the world of Kelsey Grammer here on Just Getting Started. How are you, Kelsey? Good, Rich. It's good to see you, man. How are you? I am better for chatting with you. It is great to see you. This pod I started just a few months ago when we were really thick in the throes of COVID-19 and thick in the throes of when we might just uh, get back to reality and helping people maybe get started with their lives, their careers, their uh, stories, because uh, everybody has an origin story. And I'm curious about yours, how you just got started, Kelsey Grammer. Oh, I was a grandson of a guy that was, uh, was kind of an oil executive who, who raised me. My, my dad kind of disappeared pretty early on. I, I grew through my childhood. I, I was kind of, I was going to be a Navy man. Uh, my granddad had been a military guy. And I, I wanted to go to the academy, go to Annapolis and stuff. And then uh, Gordon, he died when I was 12. And uh, that kind of just short-circuited the whole plan. And then I suddenly ended up uh, really involved in literature, Shakespeare, some of the great novels. And uh, I started thinking, well, I don't know if uh, I'm a military guy. I'm thinking maybe I'm something else. Somewhere in around seventh grade, a, a new guy came to school to teach, and he was uh, a choir director. He said, I want you to come into my office tomorrow and uh, audition. And he said that to every boy in the school. And we all went. Cut to a year later, we're all, he's got these five or six different groups. I ended up being part of a, <laughs> a group called the Singing Pines. Okay. We wore sort of tuxedos and, and the girls wore sort of formal dresses and we all sang. We went to different clubs around the, uh, the Fort Lauderdale area and sang for, for the bridge club or for whatever event. And a couple of years after that, a fellow came to school and said, I'd like you to do a play for me. So I did a play. At that time, I thought, this acting thing's pretty cool. Maybe I'll try this. 
that was around my junior year and I, I auditioned. I heard Juilliard was a good school. I auditioned for another couple around the country and got accepted to Juilliard. And uh, I thought, well, I just better go there. So that that's a good start right there. But why did what were you wanting to be when you went to Juilliard? Who was there? Was there anybody that we we would know of that were classmates of yours? Robin was there. Robin Williams was there. We were we were pretty tight. You know, fell apart. You know, as as as, as different levels of success hit different groups at different times. You know, sure. uh, Christopher Reed was there. Chris was like the first of the bunch to kind of really take off. Uh, I remember I was talking on the phone to uh, Kristen Griffith was her name, a fantastic young actress at the time. Uh, I haven't heard from her in a long time either, but I, she was great. And we were just talking on the phone, and she said, oh, guess what? Chris is going to be Superman. <laughs> it was like, holy smokes. That was just the greatest, greatest thing. And, you know, um, you can go at this kind of a career a couple of ways. You can be negative about it. You can be negative about other people upset when other people have good good luck or whatever or good fortune but i always figured that if the people close to you are the recipients of good fortune your turn is on its way that then that next was robin williams robin took off and got you know mork and mindy and, i mean all that stuff started happening and then uh, another few years down the road i went and did some shakespeare and, uh things that i really loved doing in san diego went back to new york after that and a, a year or so into that Something just came up, and they said, we want you to come in and read for uh, a television Daddy? Show. Yeah, James. <laughs> this what Mommy got me. What, honey? The Orca of Quinty. Oh, very good. Eaton. Very good. Okay, cool. We'll put it together later, babe. I love you. It's not a <laughs> He's a big Jaws fan. It's not a Wiggles. Okay, honey, but wait. I, mean, I got to do this with Rich, honey. I love a voice like that. Oh. So you get a phone call. Yeah, so I get a phone call. They say, you want to audition for this television show? And you know, that was Cheers. And that was Cheers. Before we get to that phone call and what it led to, you know, when people think of Juilliard, they do think of Shakespeare. They don't think of Superman or Mork and Mindy or Fraser Crane. So were you thinking that, though? Were you, were uh, Did you have to adjust your your sights or anything like that based on on circumstances this is a very good question i was thinking just theater and mostly shakespeare classical theater that's that's what i really fell in love with i mean the greatest writer of all time we're, we're fools to you know forget that i know there's a little bit of a movement to kind of stop teaching shakespeare i have no idea why anyone who speaks english would not want to study shakespeare but uh, i had a child my eldest daughter spencer who is uh an actress herself now, but it was when she was about three months old and I was walking across the park with her wrapped up in my, uh, my sheer skin, um, overcoat and looking down at her. And I thought to myself, I better get a real job. <laughs> I didn't mean, I didn't mean like a straight job. I meant an acting job that paid. Right. The place to find one of those was television. <laughs> so, I went to the place where I was staying at the time with my old buddy, Gregory Brown. We were sharing an apartment. I'm watching TV for the first time in, you know, my life practically. And he said, what are you up to? What's going on? I said, I think, uh, I think I just need to watch some television. He said, you're going to get a TV job, aren't you? And I said, I think so. <laughs> so that's kind of what happened. It's right. And so, again, before we get to that, too, what was Robin Williams like as a classmate? Fantastic. Always the same guy. Always, always on. I mean, he was, you know, constantly doing material. Whether or not it was practiced or not, I, I doubt it was. He just had that thing. He was just always on and always uh, 
hysterical, always funny. A motor mouth. I mean, just, he kept, just kept talking. And if it wasn't funny at the moment, it would be any minute. So you know, <laughs> he, just, he just knew he was going to get there. Uh, an extraordinary guy. And uh, I remember our very last meeting was just on the red carpet at the Golden Globes since the last time I saw him. What was weird was I, I think that was the night I won an award for uh, Boss. Mm-hmm. Tom Kane's issue was that he had Louis body. And of course, later they found out that that's what Robin was suffering with. And uh, boy, that is one obscure, weird, lonely disease, man. And uh, we picked it because it was so obscure. We thought, you know, it'd be great sort of like, you know, the meter's running device for the show boss that we were doing and uh it just seemed like a sort of painfully ironic lesson he was one of the greats he certainly was no doubt about it we had you know bob saget on as well and he was telling stories about robin williams and just being you know at the the launching pad of so many careers and and whatnot and right it's just fascinating to hear who was in your juilliard class and and you know obviously where what paths you all took we had a good bunch. Um, there, there were a ton of other actors. I mean, uh, Franny Conroy went on to do quite a few things. Jeez. David Stiers was there, which was really great. David Stiers, well, the first day, well, the first couple of weeks I was at school, David Stiers came to uh, visit and started talking. We started chatting a little bit. And he said, are you eating? And I, I guess I looked pretty skinny at the time. And uh, I said, well, not really. He said, I'm going to buy you dinner. So he bought me dinner. Uh, it was just terrific because I was having a pretty – Pretty rough time at the time. And uh, his kindness was always uh, very much appreciated. And then uh, 20 years later, he's a guest star on Frasier. Before that, he was uh, Winchester on on MASH. So I'm wondering, did Juilliard have a class on how to play fastidious people who occasionally came across as the smartest person in the room who rubbed people the wrong way a little bit? You're on fire there. Yeah, you're on top of it. Well, maybe not. <laughs> I, said, I don't know if Juilliard taught a class on, on how to corner that market <laughs> on, on iconic television. It was very high brow. <laughs> So you got this phone call at Cheers. Let's talk about that. One day, your phone—you get a phone call. Who called you? Who explained to you the the character Fraser Crane? What was that pitch to you? How did it all work out? There was a guy named Gretchen Hornell. Gretchen used to work for Paramount at the Gulf and Western Building, which is now the Trump Tower. Not the one on Fifth Avenue, but I guess one of the first ones where it had a series of condos and it was a hotel as well. Mm-hmm. So I walked up to that place. And it was the G&W building back then, Gulf and Western. And went up to see Gretchen. And uh, she said, I heard about you from Mandy Patinkin. And I said, oh, really? Because we had done Sunday in the Park with George together, um, a Sondheim musical. And uh, she said, I had, I had lunch with him last week. And, he, and I asked him if he knew any funny leading men. And he said, yeah, Kelsey Grammer's a pretty funny guy. So that's what brought me in. And then she explained to me what Frazier was. And uh, I thought, well, I could probably play this guy. She handed me some sides, some, uh, you know, written out scenes. And I went home and sort of looked through them. And uh, I went in the next day and I read for her. And then she said, we're going to put you on camera. We're going to do a camera test. What did she call it? It was called a personality test. Okay. So I said, okay, great. So I went home that day and I thought, personality test. Well, let's just let me see if I can play this guy, I think. And I thought, who is he? He's kind of a preppy guy, a little bit sort of eyebrow maybe a little awkward so i remembered that my mother had given me some christian dior golf slacks that were bright yellow and i thought i think that's this guy 
when I, I dug them out of my old chest and uh, I realized, oh crap, they, they haven't been hemmed. So having learned to do a nice cross stitch back when I was doing costumes at the Shakespeare Festival, <laughs> I, I got them out, measured them, did a beautiful job having them and then wore those in crisp and beautiful with a black blazer and a white shirt went on camera. And that's when Jimmy Burroughs basically said, well, that's one of the funniest looking guys I've ever seen. <laughs> I've still never really been very charmed by that statement or flattered, but nonetheless, it got their attention. And uh, I flew out to California the next couple of days, and, um, read for a, a group of people and they finally got me a job. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. What in the world was it like to be on the set of Cheers when it was taking off and then as iconic a television show as there's ever been? Yeah, well, it was a wonderful bunch. I mean, they, they caught lightning in a bottle, I guess. I mean, uh, casting-wise, they just nailed it with everybody. And I was you know, blessed to be invited into that bunch. I mean, they'd sort of written themselves into a corner, I suppose, and they had to break up Sam and Diane for a while. And so there was my opening. and. Uh, I was lucky enough to be able to, you know, get enough laughs that they thought, well, we should keep him around because obviously I wasn't going to stay with Diane. So that it, it worked out really well. And they were, you know, Jimmy's, you know, arguably one of the brightest guys in television, certainly was so easy to get along with. I really, really enjoyed him. And of course I didn't know he was a Burroughs kid at first. And then somebody said, oh, you know who he is. He's a Burroughs kid. And I thought, hey, Burroughs, I used to watch him on to tell the truth. So <laughs> it's, or what's my line. It was one of the other. You know, we all just sort of fell in love, and, and with Ted and with Woody went after after uh, after Nick Colasanto died, who played coach. Rhea, same thing. I still, I mean, Rhea and I get our hair cut by the same girl to this day. <laughs> so it's a uh, it's a big big part of my life, a big a good beginning um, in Los Angeles. And it was Nick Colasanto who said after after the first day of reading, he said to me, he walked up, he said to me, "You're good. Never forget." You are born with one set of fingerprints. I said, thank you. Having no idea what he meant. <laughs> I was going to ask you, what do you, yeah. what, are you well, what do you mean? A few months later, it kind of kicked in when I realized, oh, they're going to, they're going to do things to you in this industry. Once you kind of get on television, a lot of stuff starts to happen, falling into place that maybe is beyond your control in a funny way. You don't want to lose sight of who you are. So I was born with one set of fingerprints. My name's Kelsey Grammer, and that's the way it's going to So it really helped out in the end. You know, I thought... Uh, no, no, I've never heard that before, but it is actually something that works outside of Hollywood acting. It's, it's, it's one of those pieces of advice for life for every kid, everybody ever talking to them. When they're just starting out, you spot something in them. Just remind them, you know, it's... You got you. You got you, and that, uh, don't don't mess with it. Don't let some, don't let anybody take that away from you. That's the key. 
He got one set of fingerprints, and that was a that wasn't even a way homer. You had to like get figured out months later. Right, exactly. What was it like when Cheers ended, Kelsey? Oh, great! It was a great experience. Now, of course, I I was sober at that time, which was an interesting period of my life. But uh, the rumor was that as we were all in Boston with Jay Leno and stuff, is that everybody was blasted and blitzed. But I. I don't think that was true. I think everybody was pretending to be blessed and blitzed because it was the end of a, an era for every one of them. I mean, that was the first real big shot that any of them had had, you know, and they were all, they were all just loved and adored by the people of Boston and by the, by the, by the television audience. And uh, I think they all kind of knew that it was a time that should be celebrated, should be, you know, captured for life because it's not going to happen again. You know, I was I was pretty fortunate to go on to something else and have that work out. But I mean, that moment was huge for a decade of our lives. We all lived in that light, and it was fantastic. And the Charles Brothers who wrote it. You know, I mean, it just the guys were amazing. Right, and it's also rare though, Kelsey, to to continue to play the character and have something entirely different as well and be so monstrously successful in its own right. Did you have that lined up when Cheers was ending, or or what was the sequence of that? In the eighth season of Cheers, the folks at Paramount came to me and said, listen, when Cheers is done, we'd like you to do a show. Cool. Didn't really think much else about it. Uh, so we kind of, we kind of uh, inked a little deal, a production deal that said that's what we would do once, once Teddy basically said that he was done. And on the 11th season, he said, that's it. It's my last one. This is it. So uh, we started developing at that point and started to meet with a few writers and have a few ideas. And so once the show ended, we got back to work and came up with a script for an idea about a, a guy who was kind of a, a Wall Street mogul who had a motorcycle accident because he was a bit of a wild guy. I think I personally probably inspired that. And uh, the president of Paramount invited me to dinner after he submitted the script. John Pike was his name, is his name. He's still, I still see him over at Bel Air Country Club. <laughs> John uh, sat me down after the first cocktail and, uh, and some spaghetti and said, Kelsey, I think a sitcom should be funny. So I said, so you're not really in love with this idea we have. <laughs> he said, no, I think you should play Frazier. Made some sense to me. I mean, built an audience. Interesting guy, certainly not developed yet. Certainly, we don't really know who he is yet. Uh, the only thing I added then was I thought, well, let's get rid of wives and children. <laughs> Which is why is that? If you've got a relationship that was kind of a soured relationship, I didn't think it had much. I didn't think it had much comedy in it. We'd already had a breakup with Lilith, so I thought, well, let's not let's not hang on with that. But the son, I wanted him to be a responsible uh, father. But children on a television sitcom are the most interesting thing on the show because they're growing up. Mm -hmm. They change from month to month. As you see, when you go away for three weeks from your own kids, you think, oh, my God, look what happened to them. So I think what happens is a show uh, is, 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 by default, it has to revolve around this growth, this growth that's taking place. If it's a young man who's cute, you know, that becomes the story, you know, whether or not he's in a boy band or whatever. You know, that's what I'd rather do a show that's funny that isn't centered around the kid. So I got a dog instead. 
Yeah. <laughs> and you also, I mean, who, who came out? I'm, I'm fascinated by this, Kelsey. And I, and I, this sort of stuff, I, I can't get enough of. And I think the listeners either, because, you know, was there any part of you that thought maybe I, I shouldn't do that? Obviously, you, you have won a Tony Award. You have won a Golden Globe for a, a completely different role in Boss. You know, like you have done other things. But did you at any point in time think to yourself, maybe I shouldn't do that? Yeah, it happens all. Yeah, you do go through that. So why did you why did you agree? Why did you oh, assume? Then I'd already had that conversation with myself. I had that one when, before I did Cheers. That's <laughs> <laughs> so what I said. This could mean the end of your career, right? So I said, okay, fine. But so 20 years later, Fraser was over. <laughs> so it's okay. <laughs> well, and I, I, I do want to get in a, in a second to see if Fraser is in fact completely over, but who came up with the idea to make Fraser a talk show? host in Seattle with a father who is completely different from him and a brother who's even more right this is good Frazier like Peter Casey was really responsible for the father element because he he we sat down and talked at one point he said you know I've been really thinking about we're in a generation now where a lot of our parents are moving in with us and I'm not sure if that was particularly his case but it was a phenomenon that had sort of been happening around our lives, you know, in, in that time in America. And uh, we all agreed that that was probably a pretty good idea. And uh, that was when I remembered, I said, oh, my God, I love John Mahoney. He'd be a great dad. And uh, they all chimed in with that and called him and got him on, uh, got him on board. And we sent him the first script. And I mean, the great thing about the first script was everybody, you know, it was such a good script. Everybody that read it wanted to be involved. Uh, so that was a blessing. But then, yeah, then, uh, then the brother... Uh, was um, a casting person's idea. They just said, oh, by the way, you know, if you're thinking of having a brother for, for uh, Kelsey Grammer, this guy, David I. Pierce, looks just like him. <laughs> so that's how that was born. And then uh, Jane, as Daphne, they thought somebody needed to look after Martin because he you know, had the hip thing and needed to do the rehab. And we weren't exactly sure what, what that was going to lead to, but they hired, they, they told me they'd hired a girl or were interested in a girl had an English accent. I, I was kind of against that because uh, Nanny and the professor was still kind of in the back of my head. And I thought, oh, I don't know if that's a good idea. But uh, they said, well, come down and read with her. So I, I, I drove down to the studio. They said, she's right in here. I said, okay, great. I'll, I'll go read with her. And they were all following me. I said, no, 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 I'll, I'll go read with her. And I said, okay. I closed the door and we sat down. We talked for about five minutes, read through the scenes. I walked out and I said, she's great. Let's do it. So that's, that's where that one happened. And then uh, Roz, the character of Roz was someone that they had known. There was a gal that worked in production with them whose name was Roz Doyle. And it was sort of an homage to her. And uh, she was a great level-headed, you know, strong-willed woman who was a little quirky. And we couldn't find the right actress for it. We originally cast uh, Phoebe from Friends. <laughs> yeah, because uh, we we weren't sure we weren't sure if she was the right choice at the time. We just thought, you know, well, she's quirky and fun, so let's let's try that. And about a week into rehearsal, we said, ah, oh, damn, it's just it's, it's not landing. So we all knew who Perry was. She had done it Cheers before, and we called her and she read. We gave her the part, and of course, you know. The, the other actress went on to become quite famous in a show called Friends. <laughs> no question about it. 
so is there more Frasier to come? Yes. We're hashing that out right now. Now, what's great is we've, so we've sort of put a launching pad in place that we've discussed with CBS and, and the guys at Paramount Plus, but we're going to end up. Uh, it involves everybody in the cast. Some of the cast members are probably, you know, are wisely a little leery of that. So we're, we're tweaking some of the script ideas and, and coming up with another draft, like a polish to invite them in in a more significant way so they understand that, you know, oh, okay, this is where we're headed as well, seeing as how we have what is the groundwork for where Frazier's going to go next. I mean, the best thing I can say now is he's a bit like George Bailey, Frazier. You know, it started out that way. He's got an idea of how his life is supposed to go, and it never works that way. <laughs> so he's going to end up in another situation where he hadn't planned on it, and uh, but of course ends up being the richest man in the world you know, because he gets all these relationships and this this wonderful wonderful set of challenges every week. So that's what we're working on. I think it's going to be fine. When do we expect it? I'm pretty confident we'll shoot something by the beginning of the year, and then it's kind of up to them. We can turn a show around in about two weeks. But you know, maybe you know they'll they'll time when they want to release it. Is it still set in Seattle as well? Is that the idea or no? No, it's good to, I think it's good to pick up and leave for new beginnings. And so that's what we've done. <laughs> All right. I can't wait for it. And before we get to your current projects, what's your favorite Simpsons episode? How did you get involved with them? Those are two questions. You can handle them however you wish in whichever order. I had a tendency when I would show up at work to uh, sing. Uh, I always would sing. I'm, I, that's the way I was. That's the kind of hairpin I am. So uh, I used to walk into the set of Cheers often and sing, Oh, the good life. And everybody kind of get a giggle and say, Oh, that Kelsey, he's irrepressible. Sam Simon used to be on the writing staff of Cheers. Mm -hmm. He went off and became extraordinarily famous as one of the creators of The Simpsons. Somewhere in, the, I guess, the second season, maybe? I, I still don't really know where it sits in the, in the chronology of the show. Sam gives me a call and says, we come up with this character. Uh, he's been in the show already, but he doesn't speak. Now he's going to speak. We're going to find out who he is, and we think you should voice him. And can you sing a Cole Porter song? I said, well, you know, I can. Oh, oh had Sam said, Sam said, are you still singing? <laughs> it's who I am. And uh, so he said, we, do you know this Cole Porter song, uh, Every Time We Say Goodbye? And I said, yes, I know that song, and uh, I can sing. So off we went. And we recorded the first episode, and it, it takes about a year and a half, at least it did then, for the show to go from recorded uh, product yeah. to fully animated product. So about a year and a half later, I hear that, you know, the show's been on, and it, it was pretty well received. And then a buddy of mine, who was a professor at Evanston, Illinois, sends me a picture. And he says, can you believe this? It was the side of a building painted with a giant mural of Sideshow Bob with the words underneath saying, free Sideshow Bob. <laughs> oh, it's, it caught the imagination of any number of really, you know, juvenile people and it stayed there forever. <laughs> and what's your favorite Sideshow Bob? Oh, favorite Sideshow Bob. Well, it would have to episode be, or it would have to be the one where I sing the songs, you know, where I sing, um, HMS Pinafore. I mean, it is. It has to be. That's the one with the rake. The rake is, you know, it's like my, my greatest girlfriend. 
<laughs> do you have a favorite line, a favorite Sideshow Bob line? I do. Been written? This isn't the one where actually um, David I. Pierce played my brother, Sideshow Bob's brother, uh, Cecil. And I'm saving Lisa and Bart at the time. And Lisa says, what are we going to do? Blah, 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 blah. And I say, well, Lisa, you don't spend 15 years as a homicidal maniac without learning a thing or two about dynamite. <laughs> so that's my favorite line (laughs) when that's written in on the page you must say i can make an absolute five course meal out of that you're like you must have just been (laughs) doing mental cartwheels when you see a written line like that for you there's a certain lilt to it (laughs) (laughs) a thing or two Fantastic. All right. Let's, uh, before I let you go, Kelsey, talk about your, your current projects that are going to be uh, front and center for all of us. Is the uh, film that uh, The Space Between and The God Committee. What did you like about this? What did you... Those are the next two things. Um, arguably, because it's a film, you get to do something you haven't done before. And that's 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 what I focus on. I tend to, you, you know, it depends. Sometimes there's a little money in it. Sometimes there's not so much. That's That's fine. Uh, space between I just had to do because it's just uh, it reminded me of half the guys I grew up with with a, a particular friend of mine named Ray Kennedy who was a, a songwriter a songwriter who wrote some of the most famous songs you've ever heard so he has a, a pretty long shadow himself but we were great friends and um, he died a few years ago and when this part came along I thought well I can dedicate a little of Ray into this into this part or dedicate this part to him a little bit so it's inspired by by what I knew of him and my love for him. He was a great guy. And this, this character is larger than life and never quits, never quits. He's still, still trying to record music. He's been ostracized by the music industry and he's a, a pretty great rock and roller, but from the seventies and uh, the film set in the nineties. And it's a tale of redemption, a tale of a guy who gets a chance to sort of reclaim his life and to reclaim his love. And it's uh it's great. <laughs> it's a great performance, I must say so myself. Well, no, it's terrific. And it's uh, going to be uh, right around the corner on VOD, June 15th. The God Committee in theaters, uh, July 4th weekend. Right. God Committee is a, not such a fun thing to, to spend time with. Uh, although I, I, want people to, I want people to see it because it's an important story. And it's really moving. It's just... Uh, the guy dies. <laughs> Don't want to give it away. It's about that group of people that decides who receives organ transplants. And it was dubbed the God Committee by somebody, you know, a couple of decades back. And uh, so that's what it really centers on is their fight to balance funding for research with the right uh, recipient of a, of a donor heart or a donor liver or a donor kidney. And, uh, and what the uh, sort of the slippery slope morally and ethically uh, is involved in it. And my guy is a wonderful character to play. There's not a, there's not a lot of light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> but I'm, I'm pleased with the work, and I think it's an important piece. So I was, I was glad to do that. I've got another one coming out a few months after this. So it's, it's been, it was an, an interesting year with the COVID sort of event that took place because everything just sort of, was abrupted, you know, it just stopped. So all these films might've come out at a different time, but in a weird, in a weird way, it's kind of fun now because I'm 
um, ease with you know different characters, or whatever that uh, that uh, people might not have expected. And, and right, charming the hearts of men is a new film coming out in August, and then one of your Emmys for Troll Hunters, Guillermo de right, Tormo, uh, right. de Del Toro's uh, award-winning animated series Troll Hunters, and you got a film yeah. version of it. I think it's July twenty first that comes out on Netflix. Yeah, it's amazing. That's a terrific piece. That's terrific. My my grandson fell in love with that. I got a ten year old grandson now in it. He, I sent him all the miniature stuff, all the merchandising. He's got it all. He loves that sword and uh, the top. But it's terrific. I've watched some of it, and I, um, I'm, even I got excited watching it. So it's, it's a. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I got to tell you, Kelsey, and um, you know, I could literally go on and on and on. Do you ever sit back at any point in time, and you may not have time because you've got little ones running around, and your hands full being a father, grandfather, family man, actor. I mean, my gosh, just some of the names that we've heard during this pod who you've, you know, called colleagues or classmates and Cheers, Frasier, The Simpsons. I mean, this is some all-time Mount Rushmore. Like, you could literally ask somebody to come up with a Mount Rushmore of shows and the ones that I've mentioned arguably could be on there. Do you ever sit back and wonder about your journey uh, at all? These are great questions, Rich. Thanks. Let me start by saying how much I admire you. I've been a big fan for quite a while. Thank you. I look back at, at a lot of the traffic of my life, and I'm so thankful for it. There, there have been some real challenges and some difficult days, but there were so many wonderful days. And I'm really blessed to have found that thing in me that's me. And that's an actor. It's just this guy who likes to act who sings a bit, who act. And uh, thankfully, I found a career and, and a group of people that said, you know what, we're going to make sure you live pretty well because you do it really well. And that's, I don't know, I couldn't be more thankful. I really couldn't be more grateful for what I ended up with. And uh, I, I'm, the fight's not over. I mean, I'm still, you know, I'm still at it. You know, it's never, I'm never going to quit. But uh, I, I was singing, this morning I was singing, uh, pieces of a new musical for some stuff we're working on. And I had that moment as I was singing the song where I just thought I, I could be, you know, 15 again. Just that boy who found his voice and uh, gets to use it. It's a good thing. It certainly is. And I'm assuming Sam Simon asking you back in the day, do you still sing? Frasier had not come out yet because we all know how those credits ended for all those. Yeah, no, that's right. It happened. <laughs> so I, tell me, tell me. At least you're going to do that again, right? Are you going to reboot that song for the closing credits? I, I think we might actually segue from that song to another. Okay, Kelsey Grammer, thank you, sir. Greatly appreciate you being on this episode of Just Getting Started. Good to see you, Rich. Thanks. How great was that? That was nothing short of, to use a Fraser Crane term, delightful. With Kelsey Grammer, I truly could have gone on and on and on. I, I think the line to come out of this pod, as you know, I like to choose something from what the guest just said to wrap things up and and leave everyone with a thought or random or something that I think should stand the test. And I think, how about this? A line from Coach from Cheers, the actor Nicholas Colasanto, telling him, don't forget, you you have only one fingerprint. And uh, that you are you and don't let anybody ever take that away from you. Or at least that was Kelsey's 
interpretation of it in a business where people believe you should be one thing, you think you should be another. And I think acting is just one endeavor in which of many in which that's the case. I kind of dig that. As you know, over the, you know, first dozen or so episodes of this show, that's what the show's about is a conversation with somebody to leave you with something portable about how to go about your life. Maybe you learned something about one of your favorite shows, one of your favorite comedians, one of your favorite movies along the way. And I kind of dig that line. I wouldn't think that the guy from Cheers, Coach, would be the one to give me that. That's another thing about the world, that it's from a person you least expect. Anybody could give you a piece of advice, and obviously the actor just did a great job playing somebody who was really flighty and maybe had a little bit missing upstairs. But that's that. You've got one life, one fingerprint, your only fingerprint. It's yours. Nobody can have it. You do with it what you need to do with it, but you also need to take the opportunities that come your way and believe in yourself. Believe in that fingerprint. I love it. I'm going to take that. I'm going to use it. And hopefully you will too. That'll wrap it up for this edition of Just Getting Started. If you missed the previous episodes with Rob Lowe and Jake Tapper and Bill Burr, Dr. Anthony Fauci, Matthew McConaughey was our first. If you missed any of them, they're right there on our library. Please share it with as many people as you'd like. Tell them to download us. Give us the old five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts as well. Um, And be sure to also check out my daily show, The Rich Eisen Show. You can get it where all podcasts are acquired. Both are from the Cumulus Podcast Network. So this is Rich Eisen on this episode of Just Getting Started, signing off.